0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. My name is uh, Gene Olekson. I'll be your moderator for today. Welcome to SACPA, a few housekeeping rules. Uh, Pay for your lunch, it's $11 on the basket at your table. And please turn off any uh, devices that you have, cell phones, beepers, etc. We have two speakers for you today on today's topic. The first speaker is uh, Jacinda Weiss. Uh, She earned her BA in Psychology at the U of L in 2007, and uh, since then she's been the Executive Director of the Aboriginal Council of Lethbridge, uh, which includes Aboriginal Opportunities, Employment Centre, and the Aboriginal Diversity Support Program, and this targets human rights, uh, racism, and discrimination. Our uh, second speaker on the topic, and I'll let them decide how they divide up their time, is Linda Miniguns, Uh, She received her Ph.D., her uh, M.A. and uh, B.A., and also her law degree in Ontario. She's been teaching at the University of Lethbridge since 2008 in the Native American Studies Department. Her areas of expertise are Indians and the criminal justice system, Native American women, family and community development, Aboriginal law, and aboriginal development in Canada. So without further ado, I'll invite our first speaker up. And uh, oh, I guess we're doing a switch. It'll be Linda in against first. I thought it was just Linda. So Linda, please come up and thank
0: you very much. Thank you. It's an honour to be here. Um, I really feel honoured to to do this joint presentation with Jacinda. Uh, The topic is very important, important to Aboriginal people, not just in, in this location, but the ramifications of some of the changes that we're going to be talking about today are occurring across Canada in 15 different communities So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about some of the larger picture things, and Jacinda will give you uh, more um, specific uh, uh, information in regards to how some of the changes that the government has been making affect the Lethbridge community and the aboriginal population specifically. Okay, one of the things that we know is that Canada is considered one of the best places to live in the world. Economically, socially, environmentally, legally, we have one of the best environments to live in. It's, it's, it's given us as Canadians on an international scale recognition of a quality of life that's that's quite superior. Having said that, that's not the situation for the Indigenous people that live here. Indigenous people are experiencing poverty at extreme levels. And whether you live in the north, whether you live in the southeast or west, those experiences are synonymous uh, for all peoples. And what's really remarkable is that those experiences are similar in every single country. In which colonialism has uh, has uh, embarked its project, um, one of the things that we know is that resource development has taken place um, on our lands, but very little has benefited the Aboriginal people Today, myself and others, we get fa- paid five dollars a year for the use of our lands, and uh, we have disputes that are currently in place, hundreds of them. Uh, claims uh, in order to uh, settle land claims in BC up in the north. Ontario has finally opened up land claims and uh, the eastern coast has recently uh, moved from its position of, of uh, being superseded by law. Uh, all of these scenarios have made it very difficult for Aboriginal peoples and uh, regardless of that, we have a phenomena that's developing that has been emerging here in, in Canada and in Lethbridge that's, that's really important. The census today is showing that the Aboriginal population is really growing. Um, in leaps and bounds, I would, I would easily say, as compared to the rest of uh, the population. The majority population is actually not replacing itself in the next generation. And the increases are totally occurring as a, rego- as a result of immigration uh, coming in. Uh, whereas in the Aboriginal populations, we are experiencing rapid growth and increases in our, our, in our numbers. Uh, of the 1,485,000 Aboriginal people, 60.8% of those are identifying as First Nations. Of those, 32.5% are identifying as Metis, and the smaller number, of course, are identifying as Inuit from the north. Ontario, mainly because of its landmass, has uh, the largest population of Aboriginal peoples. And uh, one of the uh, um, signifiers of this population is its youth. Um, the majority of the population is below 25 years old, Uh, whereas for the non-Aboriginal population, the median age is at 41. So you have a very young population. And as a result of that, it impacts the type of programs we have to develop, the kinds of services that are needed, job training, employment, etc., because you have a, a gigantic population that's going to be looking for work soon that's coming into the workforce. I thought I'd just give you some of the numbers of the indigenous populations that are around Lethbridge. Um, as, as you know, the Blackfoot people are the uh, largest body. Um, our territories actually uh, straddled the US border and south of us, we have close to 15,000 Uh, Native people that live on the South Pagan area. On the blood reserve beside us, uh, another large population, we've got 11,000 Indigenous people, uh, 11,826 in the last count. Uh, Picani, those are the the closer-to-the-mountain people, and they're at 3,641. And uh, Siksika, which is my nation, is at 6,000. Uh, 984 last count. Um, Stoney and Tatina people are up around the uh, um, Rocky Mountains and uh, their populations are at 1,780 and 2,144 smaller groups. But Those people as well are part of what makes up the uh, Aboriginal population in the city of Lethbridge. Another factor that's really important about Alberta is that Alberta provincially has more Aboriginal people migrating into the province and less migrating out. So each one of our cities pools a great uh, uh, mixture of Aboriginal peoples within each of the communities. And so the services that are developed have to reflect those dynamics in order to be successful. As I mentioned before, that youthful population is uh, increasing in the urban settings. Um we know and you probably have heard about the housing crises that exist on the reserves. Very few houses have been built over the years. As a result of that, there's that overspill into the cities to have places to live. And uh, approximately 70% of Indigenous people live in the cities and in urban areas and in some of the rural villages and towns and whatnot. Um, One of the uh, most significant reports that looked at these factors was done in 1996 by the, what I call RCAP, or the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. Probably one of the uh, landmark uh, reports that was, was done, it took into consideration about 13 topics, key topics, in Canada, and gave really uh, remarkable reports. One of the uh, common underlying themes that they reported was that all of the services that exist in Canada that are non-Aboriginal have failed Aboriginal people. Health care, education, employment. They were not working. They weren't providing the type of service or being able to reach out to the community in a way that was that provided that cultural grounding and foundation that would make the services and the people successful in being able to achieve um, economic viability and and, uh, and security. One of the other uh, parts that's really important is the issue of language and the necessity of having language. Language is the foundation of all cultures. And within each language, there's a basis for understanding a worldview that is very different than the uh, non-Aboriginal worldview. And and that's an essential part of any community development for Aboriginal peoples. So we looked at Aboriginal peoples and, and their lives in the cities. Okay? One of the things that's uh, really interesting, that's not well known, is the fact that uh, we're getting significant information coming forward today to tell us that Aboriginal people have always been very urban in nature. I remember reading about uh, one particular, uh, in one journal, about a Blackfoot camp that was so large it was over a mile across. That's how many people were in there. And when they moved, each one of these chiefs that was moving had several hired men that he uh, also traveled with. And each one of these chiefs would have close to seven, 7,000 to 1,300 horses that w- they would have to move with them as well. And all the sub-chiefs had thousands of horses. So when we talk about camps, they were gigantic Affairs and huge in, in regards to, uh, if you compare it to the kind of the images that have been portrayed in media. They don't quite capture those, those nuances that existed. So what we do is, as Aboriginal people, is we move to the cities and we find that this natural environment of being around other people has been part of our lives on a significant uh, basis. As a matter of fact, there were huge cities here in North America at the time of contact. And uh, much of that information has, it has yet to be uh, restored, I guess, in the historical knowledge of, of communities. Regardless of that, Aboriginal people are are, uh, keen to know about their histories and about their knowledge and their background. And to find that, they need to do that through the Aboriginal services and agencies that are provided so that children can get services and be be taught their languages, so that uh, youth can actually be appreciated for the kinds of special events that they're involved in, so they can put that they're in a drum group or that they go to powwow and know that those things are meaningful, uh, rather than unknown. Okay. Okay. So what we, what we see is, uh, across Canada, uh, these needs and this, uh, desire on the part of Aboriginal peoples not to give up their culture and their and their knowledge, but to bring it into the current uh, environment, has created a number of institutions and organizations across Canada. One of the first was the friendship centres. Right on the heels of that, there were uh, housing initiatives that were taking place in Winnipeg. As soon as uh, the funding sources were put together by the federal government through uh, Canada Mortgage and Housing. Canoe was was up and running in in Winnipeg. There's been significant development whenever opportunity has has been available for Aboriginal people, and they quickly take up the reins and begin to develop their structures and organizations, which is exactly what what uh, Jacinda will talk about uh, in a minute or two. We've had. We've uh, developed parallel health systems. Uh, Many of the cities have got uh, Aboriginal people that work in the hospitals for Aboriginal people because we have different needs. When an elder comes in, I can tell you right now, they don't care about the visiting hours, and neither does the community. If there's a really important person that goes into the hospital, the hospitals today will kind of give them a wing so that everybody can just come and sit with them. Around the clock, and so those those understandings have actually transformed many of the services. Police services all across Canada have developed police Aboriginal units. Um, cities have developed Aboriginal units and services. Healthcare, social services, there's Native social services branches. So we've we've been very successful at starting to build these wings and these these. Uh, these components into standard services. Another really important uh, point that probably doesn't mean much to to a lot of people is the development of powwows. Powwows, you might see some posters for them here and there. The reality is that's developing almost a core of our Aboriginal uh, way of life. And they are gigantic. I think the last count that I heard is that there's close to about 3 million Aboriginal people that are on the powwow circuit that are not connected to any country or anything. They just move around from powwow to powwow, making, doing their beating and getting enough for gas, and they move on to the next one. So those cycles and those systems are occurring all around us and uh, have been really growing at a at a gigantic pace. So now we come to <laughs> the urban aboriginal strategy. Okay. And I will turn this over to Jacinda cuz she's the expert. <laughs>
2: okay. Thank you. Thank you Linda. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's wonderful to be here, and thank you, Sakpa, for inviting us, and it's wonderful to see new faces and familiar faces, and um, to be able to share what's going on in our community, but across the nation. Um, just to, a bit of a background. On the Urban Aboriginal Strategy, it was initiated by, by the Government of Canada with formerly the Indian and Northern Affairs of Canada, now called Aboriginal Affairs and Northern Development of Canada. Um, In 2005, um, ACL, or Aboriginal Council, or the city of Lethbridge, became a designated city to deliver the urban Aboriginal strategy with the goal of promoting the socioeconomic status of urban Aboriginal people. So some history to that was that it didn't just kind of happen. It came about from a group of people that were dynamic in our community, Back in the in the 90s, the late 90s, we had our wonderful mayor, former mayor, Bob Tarlick, a group of wonderful women who were part of the Lethbridge Interagency um, community, um, Committee that came together and heard about this and thought it would be wonderful to have this in our city, knowing that we have a huge Aboriginal population within our city and also because in the proximity of where we are within the neighbouring reserves that are close to us. So they came, they went, they lobbied, and we got. So we became a UAS city to deliver services for our urban Aboriginal people and huge partnerships within our, within the city of Lethbridge, but also with all our other organizations in Lethbridge to support the needs of urban Aboriginal people. Um, with the Urban Aboriginal Strategy came two components. One of those was the community capacity building. The community capacity building is really what our office does with Aboriginal Council of Lethbridge, where we connect with community and address key issues in around urban Aboriginal people. The other part to that is the community investment funds of the Urban Aboriginal Strategy, which is delivered through ANSI, but can't happen without our community coming together to really discuss the issues and priorities of our own community. So with that comes the projects, our community projects to support the needs around women, children, and families in all avenues of health, education, employment, et So, okay. So a little bit about the community investment funds, because with our projects in Lethbridge, and because we're a smaller city, we get a, little, we get a, a portion of funds to support community projects around $400,000 annually. Um, with that comes the priorities of where it's targeted to is life skills, employment training and education and entrepreneurship, and also to support women, children, and families. Um, with those priorities too, though, they also align within our community priorities of where we as a community have, to, you know, we've discussed and we've um, decided what our own com- co- um, community priorities are to align with the national priorities of the Urban Aboriginal Strategy. So. In our community, we had some wonderful programs, and we would like to see those programs continue. Some of those programs that were funded through the strategy were the Red Cross, um, Canadian Red Cross in Lethbridge, was the Creating Safe and Healthy Communities, the Lethbridge School District with the FNMI Student um, Success in School, our Fifth and Fifth Youth Services, and providing cultural and life skills supports for youth our women's space and providing women's financial literacy to support our Aboriginal women. Um, OPAGOS and Early Intervention Society provided a nutrition and healthy lifestyles for young children and youth, but also in partnership with Leth- with Alberta okay I know there's a new, ner- a new term, the Southern Alberta Children and Youth Authority, um, they created an outreach, an Aboriginal outreach to target our homeless population on the street that are youth and Um, and also to go with that was providing services to our Métis local. And I like to say all these services, because they're wonderful services, and they can't happen without community support. They can't happen with partnerships and collaboration in our community. And that is something that Lethbridge is very strong in. And we're very proud as Aboriginal Council, but also as a community, to say that we have those partnerships that happen. So when we say all those different projects were funded they couldn't obviously operate on only $400,000. There was leverage funding. We were able to bring in, with the support of Aboriginal Affairs and Northern Development and other funders, uh, we were able to bring an additional um, $1.1 million into our community to support those programs. So, so comes um, our dilemma, and it's presently it's a dilemma for our community and nations across Canada. Um, With the new Enhanced Urban Aboriginal Strategy that was announced February 6th of this year, um, they announced a a new, improved Urban Aboriginal Strategy. And for some of us, we were thinking, what was wrong with the old strategy? (laughs) Um, But it's a new, enhanced strategy to support the economic participation of Aboriginal people in Canada. It's a program that will, or it's a, a new UAS that will be serviced through the National Association of Friendship Centres of Canada who will deliver $48 million annually for the next two years. And the rationale in delivering and to change where it's presently delivered from into the National Association of Friendship Centres was to save a little bit of money in administration. Um, But however, there's some changes with that. So with the changes came, um, there's four major programs that were funded through ANSI. Um, The Young Canada Works for Aboriginal Youth Program, or for Urban Youth the Aboriginal Friendship Centre Program, the Aboriginal, uh, the Urban Aboriginal Strategy Program, and also to the Cultural Connections for Youth. So what they've done is they've taken four major programs um, and streamlined them into two new programs. These two new programs are the Urban Partnerships and the Community Capacity Support. So. With the other former programs, they are now dissolved, meaning that they are no longer there, but now are comprised of two new programs. And the Urban Aboriginal Strategy, or the new um, partnership program, is really about bringing together governments, Aboriginal communities, and private sectors and nonprofit sectors in partnership to support projects that remove barriers for urban Aboriginal people. Um, it also will be, um, provide projects that will be considered for funding, will include initiatives, and research, and approaches that increase the economic participation of urban Aboriginal people. The new community capacity support program um, is looked at to funding urban Aboriginal community organizations and establishing a strong and stable base to attract pro- public and private contributions in assisting them in delivering programs for urban Aboriginal people. And I'm not quite sure what the difference is. And I'm sure that will be more clear as the government decides, um, as they move forward with the new program or the new strategy, of what that looks like for our communities. Because presently right now, it's all in discussion. There is no um, terms and conditions um, in place to support the new enhanced strategy. The impact that it has on our communities across the nation Linda mentioned earlier that we have 15 UAS cities who have, or cities, did I say U.S. city? Anyway, um, we have 15 cities across Canada who deliver the urban aboriginal strategy. And these cities, some are big, some are small. We were lucky. We're not a really big city, so we were lucky to really get um, to become a designated city. Um, but these cities are people who are dedicated. They're not just aboriginal people. They are Every person that's interested in supporting and partnering and, you know, just bringing the issues forward of Aboriginal people and supporting them. And so when you have 15 cities across the nation, and then all of a sudden on February 6th, hope you know, and we're hoping that we're going to get a new announcement to say, you know, go ahead with your new programming, go ahead with the projects that you're presently doing and continue on with that. But when you get something in place, so we saw that the new and improved urban aboriginal strategy was 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 there. So we thought it was a renewal of the existing. So as you read further, it was more of completely changed. And when you hear that on February 6th, you know, a month and, and a half or a little bit, a little less than two months to your year end, of your fiscal year when you're already developing programs to move forward to continue the supports that we do for our community more so for our women, children and families what do you do with that? So that was the dilemma in our community what do we do? Where do we go? And how do we do it? So um, there came no transitional so some of our issues are is that there was no transitional programming for our communities across the nation as we sit, there's Community, there's programs that have ended as a result. They can't continue on because that has been their only source of funding. Because some of them are smaller, very grassroots-oriented programs and communities. Um, some have, you know, children are displaced, families are displaced, their communities are displaced because there isn't no programs
0: terms and conditions. Yeah.
2: We don't know. Once they, Once they are in the place, We talk about the we nation, the nation, what does that mm-hmm. really mean? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. our lives, our children, families, and we've You into that. You know, so that hasn't really quite been defined. So I'm very passionate about this whole thing, because we've been doing such a wonderful job in our city, you know, and our wonderful supports. And so when the terms and conditions come out, that's what we're relying on, because Um, it's now almost going into the third month of April and the announcement was made back in February so we have no real direction of how we're going to be moving forward ACL is so how it affects our community well I've said already is that our programs are you know have been stalled on hold until new funding comes into place to support the urban Aboriginal populations um, ACL is the hub of our community, of our urban Aboriginal community. And presently, we're not able to operate the capacity that we have done before in bringing communities together to celebrate our successes, to start new programs, initiatives, to do events like our Lethbridge Aboriginal Awareness Week, like doing our Sisters in Spirit events, you know, doing different things that we love to bring and engage our community um, we're not able, we've had to lay off staff. We've also had to, um, office space. We have to, you know, relinquish some of our office space and we're just, and I guess our saddest point is just not really being able to be part of community and being that conduit between government and our people to support the changes that are happening. So I guess that is probably our biggest frustration. And, um, and being able to provide community capacity support to continue to um, support our ongoing needs in our community. The bigger impacts, so, so just overall, is the program funding. There's decreased there are none. Um, decreased partnership and collaboration, because with our organization, we play a big role in that in bringing community together. Um, community initiatives and support community capacity building and doing what we do as what we know the only job that we really know how to do as far as ACL goes because that's what our community created us to be Um, and get engagement and inclusion so those are some of the negative impacts that are happening right now however there is light at the end of the tunnel and we're hoping once the new improved strategy once all the terms and conditions are in place that we're going to see some really good things happen. You know, with change um, comes new things. So presently it's come a bit of a shock, and we're all kind of trying to move forward and do what we can with what we got. But at the same time, we know there's going to be a change. We know we're not the only ones affected. Um, you know, it also means our our even our local Friendship Centre, it affects them as well because there's no longer a Friendship Centre program. So what does that mean overall? So we're... You know, But we do know at the end of the day, or sometime next year, <laughs> there will be something in place for our Aboriginal people to go to, to have programs to support our women, children, and families. And we look forward to also increasing our urban Aboriginal, our participation in the economy, and finding ways of how we can do that together. Our major role is really about working together. And we hope, and it's our hope, that we can continue to do that with the new improved strategy, and with the changes that come with it. We're hoping that there will be better better things for us in the picture. And so with that, um, we thank you today for to listening to some of the changes that are going on within our local city, within affecting our urban Aboriginal people across the nation. And on behalf of all of them and the other communities, I say thank you.